there you go. Maximize optimal exit velocity. And it's just a different way. It's a nerdier way of I've saying hit the ball really hard. It's a nerdier way of saying exactly what people have been trying to do since Abner Doubleday. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football. Plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game, Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. You didn't use tech decks? Uh, no, what is that? That's baffling to me. Okay, you've Is that like electrical seen... tape? No, no. There's Super a little blue. skateboard, but they're the size of, like, if, you're, if your fingers were legs, your index finger and your middle finger were your left and right legs, you skateboard around on these little things. And they're called tech decks. They're just mini skateboards. I think that's the brand name, maybe. How does that fix a microphone? No, it doesn't, but I would have a mini screwdriver. Can it mute a microphone? Because I think the podcast would be better if you use tech decks the rest of this podcast. <laughs> you maybe want to mute mine the rest of the way. You knew you were a cool kid if you not only had multiple tech deck skateboarders, but you had the little skater people to ride on them and the mini screwdrivers to fix them. So now I just I call those little screwdrivers, whether they're Phillips or Flathead, they're tech deck screwdrivers to me. Well, the more you know. There you go. Yeah, this could be an NBC promo yeah. right here. Good. <laughs> you could you could probably mute my microphone. You know, you're so time. smart, you could probably be one of the 18 consultants trying to fix Jose Barrios right now. <laughs> Have you taken a look? I know you took a well-timed vacation over the weekend, uh, yeah. and so you thankfully probably didn't get to see any of Jose Barrios' latest blow-up. I did not. But they showed, my favorite part was Fox Sports North. I caught some of the pregame show, and then um, uh, just some of the, like Burt Blylevin talking about the work he's been doing with Barrios on the broadcast. And they showed the bullpen. And there must have been, like, there was a cavalcade of people in the bullpen. Burp Lylevin was in there. I think Neil Allen, Eddie Gordado. They might have had Jim Cott flown in. Uh, I think Brad Radke and Rick Aguilera had come in from the West Coast. How many people does it take to fix one of the best prospects in baseball is uh, the question the Twins are trying to answer right now. It's not an easy answer, but it seems to me, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past, it seems to me that... The more voices that are going to be inside a 22-year-old's head, who is, by the way, up to his ears in information already, his head's probably already spinning, he's drowning in more information than he can take in. How is the answer to add more voices to that conversation? It it feels very panicky, doesn't it? If you don't think that you have the right voices talking to him, then you make a change of those voices. That's a really simple solution for any other business or major league team. So, as you mentioned, I didn't see this meeting of the minds, as it were. But when you guys told me about it, I, I almost couldn't believe it. Like, I, I actually thought you were pulling a fast one on me right away. Well, it might have only been like three people. But, it, it, it might have been a slight over-exaggeration. But, but Bert, Bert, was de- Bert was definitely in the bullpen. Bert Blylevin, <laughs> who is of, in, in recent years anyways, of broadcasting fame. Of course, he came into fame as a pitcher. Was he just reading the media guide to Jose Barrios? question. <laughs> Born in Puerto Rico in 1993, 
if my California math is correct, it looks like he's 22 years old. Has arisen at the major league level this year. And this is not to rip on Blylevin because I've heard people actually give him credit for the work that he's done with the Dutch baseball team in the World Baseball Classic. So I'm not here to suggest that Bert wouldn't even make a good pitching coach. Maybe he would. But the point is that right now he's a broadcaster. He does 100 games a year for TV, and he talks about baseball. I get the people that are going to counteract this argument by saying, yeah, but he's a Hall of Famer. He is more qualified than anyone to discuss with Boreos what these things. And he came up at a young age, too. Remember, it was with the Angels. That was a little bit before my time. But he came up at a young age, too. He knows what this is like. And it's like, yes. I mean, yes, to an extent. He certainly has been through the battles. But it just seems like a weird cook to add to the kitchen at this stage of the game for Barrales. Yeah, I understand the logic in that, okay, this kid's struggling, and we've got a smart Hall of Fame pitching mind in the broadcast booth. I'm not even really going to rip them for asking for Burp Lylevin's thoughts on this. Who, who do you think started that conversation? Just to pause quickly. As an interjection, do you think Burt said, I got some things? Or do you think Molitor and Neil Allen and question. Eddie Gordado said, hey, we can't fix this. It's not working. Can we yeah. go ask Burt? Molly, is that okay? I don't know Bert well enough to, to to say whether or not he would reach out and and reach out. To, I my gut says the Twins field staff reached out to Bert because I think a Could lot of those guys, kid? the broadcasters, the, the FSN guys, and even the you know the Twins Ready Network like Dan Gladden, um, they don't want to step on the Tom Bernanski toes or the Neil Allen toes. They They'd rather let those guys do their jobs and not have the perception of, well, I'm lurking from the broadcast booth and I'm smarter than you are, but I just happen to make more money doing broadcast work, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna come down when I want to when I when I see something to be yeah. fixed. Um, I the one thing that stands up more than anything to me is, as you look at the Twins' track record for ten years and their lack of developing top end starting pitching, and you look ahead toward some kind of a transition here. They're almost certainly going to hire someone from outside the organization to oversee everything within the next two months, right? What are we at? We're almost to the end of August. So the, the Twins' timeline is about a month from now they'd like to have someone hired, let's say by, by sometime in October. So within two months, there might be a totally different organizational philosophy. Somebody comes in here, maybe even cleans house to some extent. My question is how much damage has already been done not only to Jose Barrios, with whatever flaws they might have in their development system. And I know there's people with the Twins that would say, hey, well, you're, you're blaming us. Well, this kid's got to just do a better job of throwing his fastball over the plate, and they, and they would probably get defensive. And I would say, maybe you're right on Jose Barrios. Maybe there's things that he's just getting away from that he did correctly in the minor leagues. But ultimately, your track record as an organization points to zero top-end starting pitchers coming through your yeah. pipeline for a decade. So... Has the damage already been done wherever that damage has been done, whether it's the minor leagues and the lack of preparation, uh, or maybe we're just over-evaluating over and over-analyzing a 10-start sample here, just a rough patch. But even Burt Blylevin was on the broadcast this weekend, who's, and he's not very critical of the organization you know, mm-hmm. throughout his 20 years as a broadcaster. And he was saying, there's things that Barrio should have learned in the minor leagues, and I'm working with him on these things, and it's like he was never taught how to throw inside. He was never taught to drive off the rubber and use his legs. Well, these are very basic ABC 101 type things. And if, pun intended there, by using the, uh, the, the, the type, 
101 type things. Yeah. No, we're, you're done. Okay. Um, we're going to move on. So I, I would be... I'm fine with Burt Blylevin using his Hall of Fame brain to, mm-hmm. to sort of add value, but I think the twin system of developing top-end starting pitchers has been broken for a long time, and Jose Barrios likely isn't any different coming through that pipeline. So let me lend some out-of-town perspective here. Um, having only I covered the Orioles, but it was for one summer, so I'm not trying to say, like, outsider. I, look, I grew up watching the Twins. I am more familiar with that culture and organizational history than than anywhere else but if this happened in baltimore actually this is a really bad example because uh jim palmer's their broadcaster and i'd probably listen to him over just about anybody fix pitching stuff but just pretend you don't know the names or the faces and there is a major league pitching coach who is paid handsomely for his ability to communicate ideas about mechanics or approach in theory or he's, whatever. he's one of the smartest pitching teachers in the world because yeah. he's in the major leagues and well, there's only 30 of those jobs available in the galaxy because i think this is actually the only planet that plays baseball as far as, as, as we professionally know. Yeah. professional as far as we know right there's and some so, independent leagues on neptune <laughs> but you really can't get those games really? on tv it's the gaseous planet yeah. good call good call phil wow, look at you um the Names and faces are not important in this conversation because I don't want this to be a criticism of Neil Allen, a criticism of Eddie Gordado, or a criticism of Burt Blylevin or or any other invested party. But let's just say pitching coach A is hired because he is qualified, like you just mentioned, one of the 30 most qualified intergalactic pitching teachers. By the way, if he's not one of the 30 most qualified intergalactic pitching teachers, then Fire you're making a mistake right. by employing him. Right, correct. Fire him and find somebody else, and that's fine. And if you can't find somebody else that's in the top 30, then you're not good at hiring pitching right. coaches, in which case <laughs> you should probably be fired. You're the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and and on and on and on. But again, I'm not putting names to this. It's just you take the pitching coach, and then you take person who's paid to have good hair and talk about baseball. Again, Bert doesn't have great hair, though. Again, Jim Palmer does. Not putting names to this. Jack Morris also has a great head of hair, but we're not we're not talking about specific people. I just mean if so if if you remove the people and your biases and your beliefs about those people, it's absurd to me to think about the idea that the TV broadcaster who covers a hundred games a year is better equipped to fix some of these problems, or I'll even take it a step back further. Let's let's wind this yarn a little bit more to identify some of the things. I'll bring it back to a specific example to say what you're talking about, driving with the legs, pitching inside, all this stuff. My tendency would be to say, well, okay, that's that's nice that that's broadcaster A's opinion, but come on, do we really think that pitching coach B is not seeing these things and broadcaster is? But herein lies the problem with the Twins. That might be the case. I don't know for sure if it's the case. Uh, My only point is that my initial reaction, like if I were covering this in Baltimore, and the hitting coach couldn't fix Chris Davis, and Jim Palmer said, well, he's got a hitch in his his hip. Just watch the hitch. Just watch it. And that's the TV (laughs) segment. My inclination naturally would kind of be to be skeptical of the observation of, well, okay, that's, that's a nice bit of analysis, but is it rooted in reality? In this case, the fact that you don't know, that we don't know who's right or wrong, or if Bert has some really great, profound points here that the twins somehow missed on, 
that's that's kind of the alarming point. That would be pretty damning if that turns out to be the case. Yeah, it's um, again I, in a vacuum. Bert is a smart pitching mind. In fact, he's been in the World Baseball Classic. I believe he was on the Denmark, uh, yeah, the Dutch, uh, yeah, coaching staff three years ago or two and a half years ago. So it's not like he doesn't have experience communicating thoughts as a as a teacher to you know various young players. It's just you're sort of. It, it, if if you're bringing broadcasters down, even if they are Hall of Famers, it uh, doesn't speak too highly of your system that's developed Jose Barrios or yeah. the guys you currently employ in the dugout. So I'm not I'm not outraged by it. I just think, man, it's uh, it, it almost seems like they're out of answers. And with and, and Byron Buxton is in a similar situation where sure. he's completely conquered the minor leagues to this point. Jose Barrios has completely conquered the minor leagues to this point, and both are in over their heads by miles in the major league mm. so far. Uh, both are, you know, Ho- Jose Barrios, I can't remember if he started on Friday or Saturday, but I just remember watching him. He's already given up a crooked number. The bases are loaded. You can tell he's sweating bullets on the mound. He's not, he doesn't look confident by any means, and sure. probably nor should he coming into that yeah. start because yeah. he doesn't have any reference points for success in the major leagues. Uh-huh. And he went Chuck Knobloch for three batters. He couldn't throw a pitch over the plate. 3-0. and Hitter clearly not swinging. The bases are loaded, and he's making the catcher dive five yeah. feet out of the batter's box to prevent a wild pitch from you know, from going to the backstop. Um, he eventually got out of it. Th- that particular jam, I think he walked in two batters with the bases loaded, and then got a double play ball to end the inning. But and then the rain came in like the fourth or the fifth, mm-hmm. and he got knocked out of the game because of the rain. But okay. uh, when you have a guy who had, I'm not going to say pinpoint control in the minors because there were some. There were some command issues there, but he had such filthy stuff that he hitters would swing at pitches that were out of the strike zone that sure. ordinarily maybe he would be issuing walks to major league hitters and you're, who would be spitting on those pitches, and that's what you're seeing. But the gap between his control, or at least his lack of walks in the minors, and his lack of walks in command in the majors is alarming. It's bizarre. So, devil's advocate, and then I'm going to argue against that advocate. Um, to your point, it's possible that the hitters in the International League just aren't nearly up to snuff. Well, that's with, for sure. Like That's, right. that's like, not just possible. That's exactly. a reality. Like it's a, th- a reality. 3-2 count in Rochester, he can blow a fastball 96 at somebody's chest, and they're going to swing through it. Here, it's either a home run or a walk. You know? Like, here's an here's a example with the Twins. Tommy Malone's the best pitcher in the International League. Sure. Kevin Slowey. Look at Kevin yeah. Slowey's minor league earned run average. Sure. I think it might be below two. Really? I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. So... It's, and some pitchers just have more success there. I'm not one for labeling people quad A pitchers or anything like that. I I just think Tommy Malone. I think he's a reasonably fine pitcher. He's having a bad year. Obviously, this is not. This is. I'm not going to sit here and argue that this has been a good season for Tommy. But I will argue that if you look at his track record, his overall career numbers in the majors, he's a pretty good pitcher. He's a pretty good back end of the rotation starting pitcher, and he carved up the International League. And he can't hold a rotation spot in a bad starting pitching spot in Minnesota. Maybe that speaks to the league a little bit, and maybe Barrios' stuff is specifically you know, well-tuned to be able to take advantage. But international league hitters have not seen a two-seamer like that before. They've not seen a pitcher, at least very often anyways, with 96-97 on the fastball, run like that on the two-seam fastball, and a changeup that's major league ready. They don't, they don't see that very often. So... Part of the question is, like, well, have the Twins screwed him up? Or, like, was he not quite ready to take this step? And then 
early struggles have sorted started to compound on themselves, and, and he's panicking a yeah. little bit. He, here's another question, too, because I know Terry Ryan was pretty adamant for a, for a long time while Barrios, going back to last year. when he kept Barrios telling was, us he's not ready. For basically from the point last year where people, including me, started to say, hey, get this guy up here. You're in a pennant race. What are you doing? This what is do one of the lose? best pitching prospects in baseball. He's carving up double and triple A. Get him up here. And that continued on into the beginning part of this season, too. And he got sent back down and uh, was was down in AAA for a second time this season. And Terry Ryan, all throughout that 9- to 12-month stretch, kept saying, I know it looks on paper like he's ready, but he's not ready. Mm-hmm. He's not ready. So on one hand, he was right. Barrios wasn't ready. On the other hand, I keep going back to, are there things the Twins as an organization could or should be doing differently to get him ready or to help him be more ready with that kind of stuff and that kind of dominance in the minor leagues. And it's the same conversation we've had with Byron Buxton and all these guys, uh, even Miguel Sano to some extent. What would their development be like if they came up through a different organization? Hey, this is Derek Wetmore. Quick interrupting this wonderful Touch em All podcast. Two requests for you, audience. First, if you have Facebook, which the statistics show you do, Go to 1500 ESPN Twin Cities and like our page. You'll get all our stories and all that good stuff. Second, if you'd be interested in a Facebook live streaming of the Touch Em All podcast, let us know on Twitter, at Phil Mackey, at Derek Wetmore. We would love to hear from you. Hey, this is Ben Gessling, the Vikings beat writer for ESPN. If you're into the Vikings and you're not already listening, make sure you check out the Purple Podcast on 1500 ESPN. Judd Zolgan and I break down the Vikings every week, tell you everything you need to know about the team. You can check us out on Podcast One, iTunes, or 1500ESPN.com. Am I being too unfair by criticizing the Twins sort of nebulously in vague ways? Because it's hard to quantify right. what they do or don't do compared to other organizations. But obviously, their Major League record and you know some of the results we've seen peripherally would show you that they're a right. bottom five franchise exactly. right now. And no, so to answer your question, you're not being unfair because you go through a run like this. I think the perception from some people in the Twins front office is that they should sort of be given the benefit of the doubt. And I tend to agree with that to a certain extent, but like there's a there's a certain line. I mean, my general philosophy is the people that are doing this job are much more equipped to talk about this stuff and they're smarter about it all and i'm just kind of on the fringes peeking in and trying to lend my insight but there comes a certain number of losses and the twins have long since crossed that threshold when it becomes fair and justified to start questioning every piece of the process and the twins would be smart to question their own process actually this winter just for fun real quick here uh I, i went through this exercise on our radio show a couple weeks ago the 2012 Major League standings. This is the ultimate macro indictment on the Minnesota Twins. So 2012, we're, we're only talking four years ago, so not that long ago. The bottom of the standings. Here are the worst teams in baseball four years ago. I'm just going to go from the 30th team all the way up until we start you know, getting to teams that don't factor into what, I'm, what the point I'm trying to make. Okay. Houston Astros. Okay. They lost 107 games that year. I remember that. They went to the playoffs last year, and they're knocking on the door of the playoffs again this year. I haven't looked at the standings. Jose Altuve is so good. Yes. Chicago Cubs were the second-worst team in baseball that year. Okay. 101 losses in 2012. Okay. Well, they're favorites to win the World Series now, mm-hmm. and they won almost 100 games last year. Mm-hmm. The Colorado Rockies and Minnesota Twins were 28th and 27th. Now, the Twins popped up a little last year, but now they're back to being one of the worst teams in baseball, which is where they've been for about five years. Uh, The Rockies, 
flirting with 500 this year, but they're, they're still not. They haven't yeah. figured it out. They're the Rockies. Cleveland, Miami, Boston, Kansas City, Toronto, and the New York Mets Jeez. round out the bottom ten. Oh, wow. Okay. So almost, That's pretty interesting. Almost every team that was at the bottom of the 2012 standings just four years ago has turned it around drastically to either have won a World Series since then, mm-hmm. in the case of Boston and Kansas City, and I might be missing someone there, or they've made the playoffs and have made some noise, like Chicago and Houston, who both lost 100 games four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're in playoff contention like, right. like the Blue Jays have been. They went to the playoffs last year. Miami's in playoff contention this year. That's or went to a World Series. The Mets went to a World Series last year. Wow. So mm-hmm. to, to sort of tell people, well, just it's a process and it takes time, and that's, that's true. It does take time. But for these other teams, it didn't take as much time. Yes. Why? Now, in some cases... Payroll matters. Boston, uh, the Cubs have certainly expanded their payroll, but you know Cleveland hasn't. Kansas City has a little bit, but not to the point where they're spending with the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox. They're not so. out of your reach. Yeah. So I just I find that interesting. Wow. Uh, so we ended last week's podcast, or maybe it was two weeks ago, with uh, sort of rapid fire questions. You remember that? And one of them was, "Are you concerned about Jose Barrios?" Mm-hmm. I'm going to shoot that question right back at you, and you can one word answer. In fact, I'd prefer that. Are you concerned about the long-term viability of Jose Barreos as not a top-end starting pitcher, but a good front-end of the rotation starting pitcher? A little bit. Are you? A okay. little bit. I, it's, hard, it's hard to see Buxton and Barreos come up here and have almost no clue how to succeed. Right. In, you know, not, not a huge sample size, but sure. enough. It's not like Barreos has been out there for two starts and got rocked. And, okay, let's just see what happens in the third start. It's okay. been, it's been Interesting. 10 starts or so. I'm going to bet on both of those players. I'm, I'm still buying stock, by the way, on sure. both these guys. Sure. This, this, is the, uh, this is the housing market in, like, 2009 or 10. <laughs> I know it looks terrible, and, yeah. and people are jumping off buildings and stuff, but I'm still I'm buying right now, hoping okay. that at some point the stock goes way back up right. and I can cash in on Burrios and Buxton. My stock advice, don't jump off a building. Um, my other piece of advice, uh, we had a fun, fascinating, probably our biggest fight since I started working here, argument on a podcast two years ago about Burrios. Uh-huh. What was and, your main— One year ago. Your argument wasn't that he wasn't ready, right? It was that it wouldn't make sense? Or it was, was that, it that he wasn't ready? It was that you don't know. It's, it's not a slam dunk. And I'd point people, if you're very— interested and you're still like listening to the twins which you know, are you are you god help are you. you about to send people to uh, yes. the argument that you think you want you bet your <laughs> boots i'm gonna do that see i was talking about process yes you were talking no, about we we're both talking process okay episode 21 of the touch them all podcast posted about a year ago maybe about this time last year a little bit earlier it could have been anyways it was in like july but find yeah. it on itunes um it's called two reasonable people can disagree on Boreos. Um, um, comma, but these people aren't reasonable, yeah, and they yeah. disagree. Yeah, I don't even remember, like, all of the argument points. So I, I, I'm probably sending people to a podcast in which I say some things that look really stupid right now. <laughs> but I'd be interested to know how those um, arguments kind of stand up. Because, look, the, part of the point that I'll try to make here is that it's an inexact science, that all of this is an art. And what's going to be really interesting about this Twins hiring process is they have to almost sort of find the master scientist who studies art, right? Like Theo Epstein, for example, is a mad scientist. And I think a lot of people would argue he's one of the best baseball executives of all time. But even he would argue that there's not a perfect process here. I'm going to trade for Aroldis Chapman because, damn it, we've got a really good team this year, and I think we have a chance to win the World Series. And, you know, opponents would argue, critics would argue, 
classic journalism line, by the way. If you think something that doesn't agree with somebody, what do you say to the critics? How about all said, those critics, Adrian, who thinks that you're going to fall off a cliff this year? Age I love it. Oh, it's, it's like, the best. Well, man, those critics don't know. What so, Cam, what do you say about the critics who think that uh, your podium press conference demeanor is lacking leadership? Yeah, right, right. I wrote that column last yeah. week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I am one of the critics. Uh, I never <laughs> point that out, but I, I wish guys would stand up and say, Adrian, I think you're about to fall off a cliff. Right. What would you say to me? Right. <laughs> Right now. Do you want to wrestle? Yeah. Like it would inevitably. Go forehead to forehead like Conor McGregor and <laughs> Nate Diaz. Um, I would say the the thing about Epstein that was so fascinating to me with that quote is opponents would say or critics would say, yeah, man, but you gave up some prospects uh, to go get that done, right? Aroldis Chapman is a gamble. It might not pay off. You might not win the World Series this year. I mean, you're for sure, you're, you'll go to the postseason, but you won't for sure win the whole thing. Uh, it's, is that really worth the gamble? And he says, yes. How many times can you say that I'll be in position to maybe win a World Series? And it's possible, you know, let's say the Cubs going in as the best team, in the, and maybe they aren't even the best team at the end of the regular season. Let's just say they're the best team going into the postseason right now. You're making a choice maybe if they're, let's say they're 20 to 25% to win the World Series, which might even be high. That's pretty high, yeah, for any any team. Let's say it's 20% because they're the best team and because they've got uh, a rock-solid strikeout rotation and a loaded bullpen, Mm -hmm. so their percentage goes up. Maybe Araldis gets them from 20% to 27%, so not even that much, right? A a pretty minor increase. I don't know. I would argue that's pretty big. But that's my point, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. you, I'm I'm being generous with sure. these percentages, and teams are still giving up and mortgaging part of the future. Although we said the same thing about the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm getting way off track here, but just for fun, uh, when the Brewers traded Matt Laporta, I loved this, yeah, to the Cleveland Indians for CC Sabathia like yeah. nine years ago, <laughs> and Matt Laporta was this mashing slugger. I think he went to Florida University. He he was okay. a college slugger. And was mashing and tearing up the minor leagues. And I don't think he, he hit 10 homers in the bigs. Complete bust as the absolute top-hitting prospect in baseball. Yeah, The so, difference being the Brewers were not quite in the same spot as the Cubs are now. But I get it. Your point is well taken. Yeah, they were hoping to get to the postseason and then see what the happens. The Ben Sheets yeah. CC show. And so, it look, it's a process. And there's no definitive answer. There's not a scientific equation that you can break out and say, well... This is going to work on Boreos, and this is going to work on Buxton, and here's why. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that your thought process, uh, if you're the Twins over the past five years, needs to improve. It flat out needs to be better, and I wonder if Rob Antony can lead that charge. See, I, I love that you brought up the, the blending of science and art because I think modern front offices, that right there, to find a perfectly – a designed Venn diagram between the artistic side of baseball evaluation, which is scouting. I mean, scouting, I don't think scouts would call themselves artists, but their ability to sort of use the they eye are. test to not only you know, evaluate a player, but then to look at potential holes in that player's game or flaws mm-hmm. and then know how to communicate to coaches what the fix might be. There's, there's a certain artwork to coaching and a certain artwork to scouting that you just have to have an inherent sense. Now, the other side of the Venn diagram, and I'm going to transition here into a story that we saw. Uh, actually, it was our buddy Parker Hageman from TwinsDaily.com, who I originally saw post this, via Tom Tango, one of the, uh, the godfathers of sabermetrics and uh, the author, one of the, one of the co-authors of the book. If you haven't read the book, I think the book, what's the subtitle? 
um, playing the percentages in baseball or something like that. If you haven't read that and you're a baseball geek and you want to know more, more about the Sabre side and statistics, go read it. It's about 10 or 15 years old. It's an unbelievable read. Finish the podcast first. Yes, and do that first. Yeah. Um, and Tom got this from someone who was, who was uh, referencing the Tampa Bay Rays, who are no longer acknowledging batting average throughout their entire system. Batting average is a result measurement. It's not a process measurement. It can be a process measurement, but there's a lot of flaws and a lot of, uh, a lot of deviation. They're only measuring, among other things, exit velocity. And that's where science and art, when it comes to player evaluation, development, and scouting, come together. We know that in order to be a top batting average offense or a top run-producing offense, we have to get on base a certain amount of times. So we have to draw a certain amount of walks. We have to hit for a certain amount of power, and we have to have a certain amount of hits. In order to fulfill two out of those three things, power and hits, our exit velocity, on average, should be this compared to the rest of the league, right? And I don't have those sure. exact numbers yeah. or answers. but sure. So then if we want, on average, as a team, or if you take individual players, what's your max capacity potentially as a hitter, how do we get you on average to, to get to, or, or as often as possible, 100 miles an hour off the bat? Well, coaches, that's on you. Yeah. Development people, that's on you. And do you know what how they'd say? How do you say? square a ball up as often as possible? That's what I was, You and know then, what they'd say? It's people... People hear exit velocity and, like, you know, Molitor last year was talking about Brian Dozier's power vector. And I get why people would stamp back by saying, the nerds are taking over baseball and you're killing the game. I get it. But as a nerd, let me just speak in our defense quickly. If you tasked a coach, let's say Tom Brunanski, who, by the way, is not shy about analytics. Uh, I think I think the perception outwardly is going to be, well, he's a member of the Twins. What does he know about heat maps and spray charts and stuff? Tom Brunaski pays attention to that stuff. He knows it. Um, what's interesting is that you tell someone, hey, Bruno, I want you to maximize Miguel Sano's average exit velocity. Go, go about that any way you can. Now, I think that's a little faulty because you're talking probably a lot of swings and misses to achieve the maximum result. But but anyways, what they do is you'd get Molitor in a room and you'd get Brunanski in a room and you'd say, okay, well... So we want guys to hit a ball that leaves the bat as fast as possible. Okay. Well, to do that, we're going to want to get into some hitter-friendly counts. We're going to want to hit the ball where it's pitched. Yeah, these are all things that go way back 100 years. <laughs> right. We're going to yeah, want to sure. try to think ahead of the pitcher and figure out where he's going to try to get us out, minimize our weaknesses, maximize our strengths, and there you go maximize optimal exit velocity. And it's just a different way. It's a nerdier way of I've saying... hit the ball really hard. It's a nerdier way of saying exactly what people have been trying to do since Abner Doubleday invented but, the game. But the difference now is, and you're 100% right, it's all kind of coming full circle, and we're just being... We're able to quantify things that were unquantifiable and before. And I think we just like to sound smarter than we are. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Ultimately, it's go hit the ball hard or, or, or go swing at good pitches, and on the other side, get hitters to swing at bad pitches, um, tally outs... Miss bats. It's all stuff that goes back 100 to 150 years. The game hasn't changed that much. But the fact that we can quantify things like how hard did you hit the ball means no longer can you incorrectly or no longer should you incorrectly as a team say, well, we hit the ball harder than almost anyone in the league. Ah, but do you? Because you could ask that question 10 or 15 years ago, and you could say, who hits the, which lineup hits the ball the hardest? Oh, man, just... Well, the Rangers lineup, man. They, well, what if they're what if they're actually ranked fifteenth? Yeah, fifteenth or twentieth. The fact that you can quantify these things, and then, for instance, like I'll give you Siyoshi Nishioka as an example. 
if the Twins had done a little bit of digging on his advanced metrics, for instance, in 2009 in Japan, or 2010 it would have been because he came over in 11, he went from being sort of a career 280, 290, 300 hitter in Japan to being a 345 batting champion in 2010. Well, his batting average on balls in play was like 400 that year, meaning he got a, he got lucky on ground balls, had a lot of bloops fall in. Well, that's when you have to evaluate. You could, you could, if you were just using the eyeball test, say that he's a guy that puts the ball in play and gets on base, and he right? hits it where they ain't. Yep, and that might be true, but how sure. much of that is skill versus luck? Well, if he led the league in exit velocity on average off the bat, and maybe his batting average on balls in play was more reflective of a hitter who hits X amount of line drives at X amount of exit velocity, you'd be able to correlate yeah. and weed out the luck factor. This is really geeky right I'm now. I'm guessing he did it. so nerdy. Yeah. And the Twins didn't, by the way, right. in case you missed the Nishioka yeah. era. <laughs> in case you... They definitely did not do in that. In case you missed it. <laughs> Man, I love how the, the eight people still tuned in are just all in on this conversation. Well, Everyone else had their eyes glaze over about, about 10 minutes ago. I wonder... I wonder if there are some shakeups in the front office. If we're ever going to find the skeleton in the closet, uh, who who Whose recommended who <laughs> recommended to Bill Smith that the Twins sign Siyoshi Nishioka? Didn't Terry kind of fall on the sword a little bit? Of course did, he did. Didn't Terry say I was I was involved in that process? Let me ask you if you've ever met a sword that Terry Ryan didn't jump on. That's true. And you can jump on every sword and every grenade in sight when your owner has been on the record for right. five years up until like two months ago. If you're bulletproof, you. yeah, if you're bulletproof, you yeah. should be taking every bullet right. for your staff. Here, okay, here's a question for you. And I don't know the answer, but I'm but I'm leaning toward... I'll just ask the question first. Okay. <laughs> Do you think Terry Ryan, in order to avoid the spotlight, was very much active behind the scenes for those four years as sort of the acting GM. Bill Smith was the front man for the organization, but Terry was the one making a lot of recommendations and a lot of personnel decisions. Because I can tell you, having been at the winter meetings, for instance, in uh, 2011, 2012, I guess it would have been 2011, because Bill was gone by 2012 as GM. And Terry was absolutely in their suite. Bill was the GM, but Terry was in the suite during the winter meetings. Sure. If you're sort of retired and an advisor, are you really in the suite for the winter meetings in 2011? Are you hmm. are you taking blame for the Siyoshi Nishioka signing with reporters in 2016, well, even though you weren't really the GM and you had, in theory, been retired for three years? Well, I don't think there's any secret that he didn't really retire. I mean, he's a workaholic. Um, I'm frankly, I'll be really curious to see where he surfaces because I don't think this is the end of Terry Ryan in Major League Baseball. But I do feel and have felt for a while that his best role would be as sort of a senior advisor, um, not necessarily the one with his finger on the trigger for trades or for call ups and stuff like that. And the Twins, the Twins didn't necessarily. It wasn't all Terry. I mean, Brad Style had a lot of say in who gets promoted at which level of the minor leagues and who's coming to the show. But I'm curious to know what is next for him because I don't think he'll just stop working. I think the word retired is a misnomer. I think it's pretty obvious that he was actively involved. But if you're asking me, is he the one that orchestrated the Delman Young trade or is he the one that at that pulled the trigger on the Siyoshi Nishioka like, signing? I, I doubt it. I find it hard to believe knowing Terry now, and I, I don't know if I would have said this 10 years ago because I, I just didn't know Terry sure. 10 years ago. Would he really have left Bill Smith high and dry? Hey, I'm retiring. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appoint you and recommend you as the new GM, but peace out. Uh, it's all yours, baby. Oh, by the way, your first move, 
is to trade Johan Santana right, right. in a month. And don't overplay your hand. Oh, that turned out to be prescient advice. Mm-hmm. What I would say is that there's no question in my mind that Terry would make his opinion known, but also knowing him just a tiny bit, I don't want to I don't want to, you know, play armchair psychologist here, but I do think that Terry would be the kind of person to say, "Hey, this is kind of what I think, but you're the GM ultimately, it's your decision. I want you to make this call." Terry's very much a chain of command guy. And I think if Terry took himself from the top of that chain, he would have little to no problem respecting the process of, okay, there are now people above me that are making decisions. Um, I I don't know that we're ever going to have an answer to that, but I'm going to be so wicked curious if we find out any of these, like I said, sort of skeletons in the closet if they ever come out. Uh, before we wrap up this podcast, can I award a gold and a silver medal in the spirit of the Olympics just wrapping up in Rio to the Minnesota Twins? Okay. Uh, gold the, and a silver. Yeah. Uh, the event is worst and or most meaning, meaningless trade in Major League Baseball so far in 2017, or maybe even going back to the last calendar year. The gold medal is the Aaron Hicks for John Ryan Murphy trade, which hasn't panned out for either team. In fact, the Twins are desperate for catching, and John Ryan Murphy... Hasn't had a whiff in in four months of the big leagues. Yeah, well, look at the batting line. <laughs> yeah, it's Rochester. not good. It's not good. Uh, but the silver medal awarded this week officially to two pitchers with ERAs over five, or one of them with an ERA over ten for their new respective teams. Hector Santiago for Ricky Nolasco. Both getting absolutely shelled and giving up bomb after bomb with their new major league team. Yeah. Congratulations, Minnesota Twins and Los Angeles Angels and New York Yankees. Uh, baseball trade olympic medalists we play the national anthem now or what happens i've never been at one of these ceremonies this is kind of nerve-wracking i think we just sit in awkward silence and watch the home runs go over the fence